Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 187. This episode is with the head of sports science and medicine at Morpeth Town, Stephen Shaw. Stephen came on to talk about the role of a non-league sports scientist. We spoke about all the different hats that he wears within his role. We spoke about some examples of pivoting um, his programming because of logistics, finance, facilities, just things that come up at that standard, at that level. Um, But the sort of approach that he's taken to maximise what he can get out of his players in his programme. And then he gave some great advice on some of the key skills or characteristics that practitioners need to develop to thrive in that non-league sports science environment. So it was great to speak to Stephen. I think this is a really relatable podcast episode, not only for people working in non-league football, but right across the football spectrum. I think um, some of the skills that he talks about, some of the experiences that he's gone through, and also the approach that he's taken to his career, there's some massive, massive takeaways for anyone. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to get into it pretty quick today. I just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors. First of all, Black Box Fitness. Black Box are the world's best training equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Black Box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle. Continually seeking your highest performance in the gym, on the pitch, at home and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best and Black Box has you covered. So go and check them out on social media at BLK Box Fitness. Also a huge thank you to Rezzle. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezzle and Player22 can create game style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. And a huge thank you as well to Hytro. Have you tried Hytro, the wearable blood flow restriction solution that is unlocking better recovery in players? While many may have used BFR for rehab, Hytro are demonstrating the huge impact BFR can have on recovery and performance when used after competition or training. Through their innovative design, BFR straps are integrated into into shorts, delivering BFR to groups of players safely and more conveniently than ever before. So go and check them out, hytro.com, H-Y-T-R-O, or email warren at hytro.com, and that is Warren Bradley, who appeared on the podcast not too long ago, so you can get all the information um, from both of those links, either the website or directly to Warren. So go and check out all of our sponsors, and a massive thank you for them supporting us on the podcast, and to you for listening as well. Just before we get into the episode, I really appreciate a few more reviews on iTunes. So head over to iTunes if you're not already left us a review. Click the five stars. um, Let us know which guests you've enjoyed the most, maybe which topics you've enjoyed the most as well. I really would appreciate it. But let's get into the podcast now. Episode 187 with the Head of Sports Science and Medicine at Morpeth Town, Stephen Shaw. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 187. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Head of Sports Science and Medicine at Morpeth Town, Steve Shaw. How are you, Steve? Yeah, I'm really good. Really good. Pleased to be on. It's great to have you on, mate. 
<laughs> this is going to be good. This is going to be enjoyable because we had a, a very quick chat at our, mo our most recent event, but didn't really have time to go into too much. We've had a very brief catch up before we get into it now, but um, we've got some really relatable topics, I think, for a lot of people on this podcast. So it'd be great to dive into some of them. But Steve, start us off in traditional podcast fashion. Your background, um, <clears throat> what leads you up to your role now? But also, can you give us a little, like you've just done before we start recording, a little update on the club and how they finish the season as well? Yeah, no problem. Um, so I feel like I've had kind of two lives in one, really. Um, like a before uni and an after uni, because I didn't go to uni until I was 26. So I had this life before. So um, left school, joined the Royal Navy as a, as a medic. Um, I ended up with a job um, in a finance company. Um, I worked in a, a factory making parts for Nissan, which I'm from Washington, which is a, a town in between Sunderland and Newcastle. It's kind of seven miles from both. So I think 90% of the population of Washington has at some point worked at Nissan. Um, if anyone's listening, that's got a Nissan Primera from 2005 and 2007. Your rear right door's probably about to fall off because I made it. So uh, that'll not be on long. Um, and then while I was doing that one, my best mate was uh, he started doing a, a gym instructor and a personal training course on the side. Um, and at the time, believe it or not, I was shredded and uh, I was interested in that kind of thing. Um, so I thought, oh, well, I'll do that as well. Um, so I went along to KSA College. Um, he actually dropped out. Uh, he was working permanent night shifts at the time and he dropped out and, and I just kept it going. And uh, I started working... Um, part-time in some gyms and I worked in a hotel, which was great because we got free golf membership. Um, and then worked in a, a gym with, um, it's called the Esporta Group. It's been taken over by Virgin Active now, but it was quite a big, um, like a chain gym at the time. It's quite a, a high-end premium gym in Sunderland. And that was, that was really good. So I started working full-time then. It was probably around about then. It was like really I would say probably the end of when gym instructor jobs were a thing when you could actually just get employed in a gym. I think everyone's now is either paying rent to be in a, in a gym or they're doing 10 hours cleaning and then allowed to have access to the membership base. So then I was, um, I was actually employed in the gym and we had a physio clinic that was attached to it. Um, I had some good physios in there, people like Dave Binnensley, who's at Manchester United now. He was working in the clinic attached to the gym. And it just seems to like little bits in my life, I seem to have bumped into people that's kind of shaped where I've ended up going. And I started doing, being more interested in kind of the rehab side. Um, I was getting past clients there. It was like a tennis membership club. Um, I think it's David Lloyd now. Um, and they had a lot of tennis members, so I was doing like rehab for them, maybe helping with their strength and conditioning and stuff like that. And I, ha I had, a, again, another sliding door moment where we had a member fly off a, a treadmill, had a cardiac arrest, just flew off the back of the treadmill, um, ended up doing CBR along with a couple of others. I think it was a doctor who was playing squash on the squash court, so he come and helped us. And we managed to, to help him. He, he wasn't alive when he left us, but... They managed to get him around in the ambulance and we kept him going. And it was on that time, obviously, I'd been a medic in the Navy and done little bits. And I thought, I, I really enjoyed that kind of thing, that kind of helping people. Um, and I just thought, I'm going to try and do something a little bit different. So I, on the off chance, I went into Newcastle College with a, with a friend of mine to see if they had any courses on anatomy and physiology or 
So I could just learn a little bit more. Um, I fancy doing teaching. So I was going to, I thought, well, maybe I could kind of train the next generation of personal trainers and stuff like that. So I just went along um, and it just happened to be that there was a, a sports therapy course. On it. it was actually that day I'd gone. It was actually an open day for the college, um, which was just a, a quirk of fate, I suppose. Um, and I ended up enrolling on a sports therapy degree. The re- um, I got on with purely because of my age. I got on as, a, as an adult learner. Um, what's a, a, mature, a mature student. I was age 26. Used my me, me personal training qualification to get on to it. I didn't have any GCSEs. My results had spelled fudge. My um, GCSEs were shocking. Um, but I was able to get on to it. And uh, yeah, it went from there, really. Um, I started doing... Um, I was still PT while I was at uni. Um, all this time I'd been kind of playing non-league football been playing Sunday morning with my mates and one of my best friend was uh, he was playing for Morpeth Town where I'm at now and they needed like a, a physio basically someone with a first aid kit but they needed someone to come in do robes and strappings and stuff and I was only in my first year at uni um, but I went yeah I'll come along so got asked to go and do that and I ended up there for two seasons Um and I stopped playing to just to concentrate on that. Really, it's only so many hours in the week, isn't it? So, um, stopped playing. Um, and I've done a placement there for two years. And in my last year at uni, um, or going into my last year at uni, um, I just thought, I wonder if I could, if, if I could go into a professional club through the summer and do a little bit of experience. So I sent out letters, actually handwritten letters, um, before emails. It wasn't before emails, but I didn't have a computer. Um, and I uh, sent out letters to. The local clubs, Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Yorks, Darlington's, all the clubs that were kind of in the league, at the, in the football league at that time where I thought it was commutable, even Sheffields and Leeds and stuff like that. Um, and the only the only response I got was was from Middlesbrough. And um, I was invited in for an informal chat. Uh, I turned up in a suit because I thought, why not? My dad told us always go to an interview in a suit. So I turned up in a suit and ended up, the head of medical there was Grant Downey, um, who I'm sure everyone that's listening to this will have heard of. Um, and I think, again, it was just faith, really, that I kind of got into that. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you remember, but he, uh, he actually got us to massage Emmanuel Pogatetz's calf during the interview um, in his suit, which was mental. Um, and then... Uh, he, he invited us in to do pre-season, to help with pre-season. Um, said, you can come in as much as you like. And I was like, well, I want to come in all summer if I can. So I ended up doing six days a week for, for six weeks for, through the full pre-season. Um, really enjoyed it. I mean, the, the, the people there that I worked with, Grant Downey, Chris Mosley, Adam Reed, Trevor Langford on the medical side, um, Peter Hood, Adam Kerr, Roger Spry, Nick Grantham, Johnny Madden, they were, it was, it's like a who's who, really. I mean, even like the academy staff, Dave Parnaby, Martin Carter and Ron Bourne are like legends in, in academy football. So it was it was some apprenticeship I had really um, absolutely fell on my feet to get into there. And after the pre-season, he just, he, he, he liked us and um, Grant just said, if you you can come in, as basically he wanted some commitment. So he didn't, he, he said, don't um, come in just off and on. Give us a day that you can come in one day a week while you're at uni and, and we'll stick to that. So I just done every Friday all summer, um, sorry, all season. 
um, done that and uh, really enjoyed it. Ended up having two seasons there, had that season there. And then my next season as a first year graduate, I was in there one day a week. Um, and while I was doing that, I was still doing personal training. I was still, I had more of a focus towards rehab and kind of sports specific strength and conditions, kind of the kind of client I was starting to work with at the time. I was working with Middlesbrough one day a week as part of a multidiscipline team. And then I was still in non-league on a weekend as a, as a kind of a therapist. So I was kind of, that was probably where me kind of having all these different hats and I suppose skin in the game, the music corny word is the kind of where it started, where I was doing bits of everything. Um, and that's kind of where it came from. I, that kind of set the tone for where I went to. I left there and um, I t- took on a job with Barrett Rangers in the Scottish Second Division. They were part-time, but obviously with the, the travel that was involved, um, it was quite a lot to do as well as trying to earn money in, in the gym that I was working in. So we, I was travelling up to Edinburgh twice a week for training, games on a weekend all over the place. So I remember going to Elgin on a Tuesday night, which is an absolute mission from Sunderland. It was, uh, I think I got back at half three in the morning. Um, absolutely crazy times really where I went to in, in non-league football um, had a great season at Berwick um, they had the, I think their best season in 50 years while I was there nothing to do with me I'm sure but but it was Scottish Cup quarter final live on Sky Sports played at Queen's Park at Hamden Stadium a couple of times um, just a great great time and then put 24,000 miles on my car. I think I put two stone on because I was just eating when I was driving up Edinburgh. So I just knocked that on the head. Had a year there. Really enjoyed it. And then um, I came back and I was working back in non-league, working in the gym. I, I'd started um, consulting with Newcastle women. I'd done that. Um, kind of rehabbing their, their girls on a Monday if they were injured from the weekend. I started teaching personal training courses. And... Um, Eventually got asked to come to Mortworth Town um, again. So I came back here in 2016. The manager there was working in kind of college programmes. Um, and he asked me to come into the college football programme that he was working in as they didn't really have a, um, a sports science provision. I was only supposed to go in and cover their games on a Wednesday because of the the, uh, the ITMIF qualification. I've got that kind of pitch side trauma that I'm sure all the physios are aware of. Um, so started one day a week and then ended up full-time because I was able to do all these different things, bits of teaching, qualify to teach, qualify to do S&C, qualify to do rehab. So I just started doing all these different bits. I'd, when I was at Newcastle Women, I'd getting in touch with Andy Wiseman, um, who was at Celtic Women at the time. He put us in, in touch with uh, Catapult and Playtech. So I'd been able to get some uh, GPS units um, and I'd started working with those was able to implement them at Newcastle. And then when I went, came to Mortworth, um, we were using them and the college programme I was using. We were, we were kind of using the pods there as well. Um, and then last year, um, to bring us around to kind of where we are, we, we set up an academy here. Um, Nick Gray, who, was, who took me into um, the other college and brought me back to Mortworth, he was first team manager there. He left as first team manager here to set up the academy and um, we set the academy up here last summer. Um, obviously COVID and everything made it complicated to, with recruitment and stuff like that. So we were trying to resolve in um, in that kind of backdrop, but it's, it's gone really well. We've had a great year. 
the club is uh, now a step three club. We're in the Northern Premier League. Um, we've got an academy side with, with 60 lads in um, who are sort of under 17, under 18, under 19. All the leagues that we play in, play in are under 19 leagues. But predominantly, I think, out of our 60 lads, I think 50 of them are under 17. So they're going to evolve through the three years. We've had four lads play for our first team this year, 16 and 17, which is is excellent for the level that we play at because as much as we're not league, we do play at a good level. And um, yeah, it's going it's going really well. My job here, I suppose, is with the first team, lead therapist, rehab, assisting the manager with kind of insights and conditioning and workloads and top-ups from the GPS and stuff like that, warm-ups, sorting the kit through the week, making sure there's enough drinks for match days and travelling. The academy side, again, lead therapists, S&C, rehab, do all the GPS analysis for the first. Um, we look to try and show the lads um, what the first team players are doing so that they've all got the app so they can compare themselves against the first team. Are they anywhere near physically? If they are, they're always into us to try and uh, have a conversation with the first team gaffer to try and get them training with the first team. So that's good. Um and then things like along the lines of recruitment and pastoral care, basically trying, well, like their dad really, um, they have been. Um, and then minibus driving as well on occasion, take them into college on the morning, take them home on a night and uh, everything in between. I mean, all things are just basically the goal of giving the manager the best 11 on the pitch as often as possible. And that's really my kind of goal and remit here, um, both from the first team point of view and the, the academy mate what a brilliant insight that was absolutely class i think just off that though steve there's the, that alone in your story and the fact that how much you sort of seek the next opportunity and took advantage of the contacts that you created because obviously you mentioned some great names in there some of which have been on previous episodes of the podcast but it's really utilizing those conversations in it. When you do have a conversation with a, with someone like Grant Downey or Nick Grantham, you can't undervalue that and, and where that potentially might go in the future. And, and like you said, with Andy Wiseman, it might be a connection with someone that then creates a link with someone else. And I think that's really important, isn't it? And that's something that practitioners need to take away. It's, it's really focusing on that and thinking about how you utilize the contacts you've got. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even like on a, I know we've probably come on to CPD, but one of one of the things I've done was um, I I seen a um, a tweet I think it was from Johnny Wilson when he was at Notts County, and he'd asked for people um, basically for assistance through through preseason screening. They would they were doing a week of screening, um, and he'd ask for people to to get involved basically and. And I just took the leap and said, I, I applied. I was already a graduate. He was looking for students, but he was like, oh, you're more than welcome to come down and help us out. <laughs> um, you're more than likely to come down and help us out. And uh, I went down there, rented a house for four days on Airbnb, um, spent four days down there with them. And I mean, again, it was like Johnny Wilson, Tony Tomas, who you've had on. Um, people like that, Tom Harris, Bex Knight, like fantastic practitioners. And I just threw myself into it basically of just having four days, five days, I think it was, of just being almost like a fly on the wall. Um, and it was really great insight. But without P 
people prepared to let you in the door. Like that just doesn't happen. And I think like said Johnny, like said Grant, they're just first and foremost, they're unbelievable practitioners, but they're just great people who want to see young practitioners um get on. And I mean I'm not young now, like, but uh, they just want to see people get on. Um and and I think football, especially football, it's it's kind of like like people think it's like Hollywood, but it's just a sport. It's people, it's just people trying to help people. Um, and obviously the the players are the superstars, but the people in the background, you're just trying to help people as much as you can. That's that's the top and bottom of it. And and we need people to kind of help other people up the up the ladder. I've always had students with me, and some of the people that I've had have gone on and got full-time jobs in professional football, they've gone into rugby. It's um that's what it's all about, isn't it? It is. It's passing it on, isn't it? Because, like, like you say, those people that have been in those roles have been, have helped numerous careers develop, haven't they? And if, if the next generation, next generation after that, can do the same, the industry as a whole is only going one way, isn't it? And it's going to provide more opportunities. Yeah. So no, I, I fully agree, mate. I, I wanted to dive into your role now at Morpeth and, and go into some details. I know you just mentioned um, some of the aspects of it, like GPS and. Um, being a dad to the players and all the rest of it. But I think this could be good going into some of the the key responsibilities of yourself um, throughout the week and then also on a match day as well and what that actually looks like for people because we might have people that have listened to episodes of this podcast or other podcasts with people working in the Football League, Premier League, Champions League, hearing what they do, but how it then applies to your level, the, some of the restrictions that you might have in place financially, logistically, and all the rest of it, I think it's really applicable for a lot of people. Um, yeah, I think, sorry, I, I think the biggest thing for us, um, or the biggest complication I have, is because we're, for our academy, because it's a college programme, the game days are Wednesday, and they're not with us on a weekend, because it's, it's, a, well, it's basically a college programme with a football add-on um, so they're college students and they play football full-time so a number of the network meetings I've came to and the uh, soccer science conventions that I've come to as well and the questions I always ask whenever I've spoke to you know the, the names in the industry is what would you do if your game day was a Wednesday and you didn't see them on a weekend so you you're only ever game day minus two or game day plus two you, a lot of you know, the hard work that most clubs will go into for when it's a Saturday to Saturday game week, they'll have that like game day minus four. It'll be their hard working day. Well, we never have that. And on a weekend, our lads will be playing boys club football. They'll be playing Saturdays. They might even play Sundays. So it's kind of monitoring that load, monitoring what they're getting up to. Can you find out how many minutes they've played? If not, and it all comes from conversations with them on a Monday morning, getting them getting in touch with me to tell us if they're injured, them getting in touch with us to say they're knackered and they don't want to train on this on the Monday afternoon. And then from the GPS trying to work out, well, how hard can we work on a on a Monday? Because we still want to win games on a Wednesday. We still want to be as fit as we possibly can. But how hard it's getting that balance between working their nuts off and also managing their load, managing the fact that they're maturing, the, the age that they're coming into. Most of them, because they're coming from college programmes, they haven't been in full-time football um, as, as 14, 15-year-olds. They haven't been scholars in clubs. They've, they're, they're coming from just boys' club football. 
So even just going into a full-time training environment is a big thing for them. So in that first year, the start of the year, you're seeing tendinopathies, tendinitis, Sarsgood slatters, all those kind of things come in. Um, and it's kind of trying to put things in place that you know they're going to happen. So you don't need Nord boards. You don't need all that kind of equipment that we just are never going to have and never going to be able to afford to have. Um, it's it's basically conversations with players and basic objective markers, knees to wall test to test ankle mobility, Thomas test to test um, hip mobility and stuff like that. And just trying to look at little key markers. And that's where the GPS is great for us because we can look at spikes in intensity, which we know that they're the biggest kind of precursors to injuries. It's not working dead hard loads of times. That's a problem and not working hard, being kind of undertrained. It's those big spikes where they've gone from doing nothing to doing a lot, where they've done a lot and then they've gone to doing nothing. And it's those kind of downtimes and uptimes that we try to, we try to highlight and we're lucky that we've got, we've been backed um, by the chairman, Ken Beatty, who's been fantastic. I mean, we've we've got 60 pods here, which is, there's full-time professional football clubs that won't have 60 GPS units. And, and we're lucky that each of our players have got one themselves. Um, the first team players have got one themselves. So logistically, that makes it a lot easier for, for getting the pods charged and data download and all that kind of thing. But it's just putting those kind of, and it's one of the things I learned from Nick Grantham is just the fundamentals, getting your basics right, making sure you get the big pillars, education on sleep, education on nutrition, education on hydration, trying to get all those big things in place. So you can kind of just nudge the culture along a little bit. You can try to make them aware of themselves. Um, and they start to kind of... Um, What's the word? They kind of danger check themselves so they know if they've been doing a lot, they'll come and have that conversation with you. And it's, I think it's that kind of education is probably the biggest thing when you don't have all the gadgets, you don't have all the, all the analytics. Um, you're kind of hoping that you can educate people to look after themselves a little bit, but then you kind of oversee it and manage it all. How did you approach that though, Steve? So when, when you've got players that haven't been in full-time programmes, but then also you've come into this role, it's new, they're suddenly wearing GPS, they're getting the, this extra data that's available to them. But at the same time, you want to create an environment where they can come and have a conversation, but you've got 60 players, so you yeah. can't speak to all 60 players. So what was your approach in terms of making it, I suppose, like open-door policy, like accessible to them, yeah. where it's something new? So it was a seminar. I've done a seminar to the staff, um, first and foremost. So we've got, um, we're lucky that two of our first team players are coaches with the academy. Um, so that gives a good bridge across to the first team. In fairness, it kind of educates the first team lads through them on the things that they hear. Um, and then basically done a, a seminar to the staff on the use of GPS on um, on nutrition, on hydration, all those kind of things that you kind of want to pass those messages along so that the players can speak to them as well. Um, and then seminars again in the summer before they came in. So during pre-season or during the summer, um, during the six weeks holidays, they don't start with us officially until September. But what we were doing is we were getting them in two or three days a week 
through the six weeks holiday. So they would kind of get used to that increase in workload. Now, we also know that they're going to be doing pre-season with their boys clubs. But having that extra one or two sessions a week kind of just kind of brought them in gently. So then when it comes to September and all they were doing then was just having that extra game or an extra training session. It wasn't such a big, it wasn't such a big upheaval. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Now, Stephen is uh, one of our members on our online community and someone that gets involved in the conversations in our WhatsApp group. Um, and like you can sort of hear in the podcast already, takes every opportunity to engage and take plenty from other practitioners, which is exactly what our community is all about. So we've recently had coaches from Boston United, Yeovil Town, Shelbourne, Crawley Town and loads of other teams sign up to the online community. And not only can you connect with other sports scientists and SNC coaches around the world, literally around the world as well. We've got we've got coaches from um, all different countries, all different leagues. Um, you also get the very best in football fitness content, presentations, webinars, and all the rest of it as well. And our latest bit of content is absolutely quality. Ajax's head of strength, Yori Pagel, who's previously been on the podcast a couple of times, has done a webinar for us, um, player metrics in football. He discusses in-season versus off-season considerations, goes into loads of great detail on programming player metrics. So go and check it out. We've put a preview on our YouTube page. You can go and give that a little watch, um, only a couple of minutes. But to get access to the full webinar, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there. That will give you a month free on the community so you can see what it's all about and watch, watch Yuri's presentation as well as all the others on there. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward and you will get access to our WhatsApp group and continued access to all the content we put on from our future networking events and some other exciting webinars we've got coming forward as well. So go and check it out if you're not already a member, footballfitfed.com. Join coaches like Stephen on there, on the community and engage with coaches right around the world. Here's part two of the podcast with Stephen Shaw. Yeah, brilliant. That's that's top. And then you mentioned before about um, wearing different hats and in, in your role, I'm sure there's numerous uh, job titles that you could probably take, but it's not it's not at the level that you're at, is it? Because right across sort of sports science, there have been people that have done all sorts of different jobs. I've spoken to loads of people about it on the podcast. I remember um, being a referee in a training game and all the rest of it and stuff that you just don't want to do, but yeah, you have to, yeah. don't you? So can you give a bit of information on that as well? Because I think, I think this is a, this is real, isn't it? It's what happens. It is. I mean, I mean, if I'm called head of sports science and medicine. I don't know where that come from because what am I head of? It's not like it's a big department. It's me and a couple of interns and students that we've got in. Um, so it was basically a, a, well, what am I? I'm a, physical performance coach I'm a, a, I'm a what I am as a graduate sports therapist but what I was before that was a personal trainer done strength and conditioning and I think the, the sports science element comes in when you, you start looking at the GPS and trying to assist more with the nutrition and stuff along those lines so I mean from a, a job title point of view I think it just kind of just plucked from anywhere and um, it was just one of the clubs we're, we're doing and it was kind of a like, well, if we've got that, 
then going forward, if we grow, then we can start adding on. Because I would love to have an under-19s an under therapist. I'd love to have an under-18s therapist. I would love all that to happen. And it might happen, but it'll be student placements that does it. Um, but, of course, you, you're then looking at you need commitment from other people. And, unfortunately, the, I don't want to sound old and say the youth of the day, but the youth of the day sometimes don't want to put themselves out and commit the, commit the days. They just want to see the, the cup finals. You, you never never have a problem getting a student to come along to a cup final, but mm-hmm. uh, you do sometimes when it's raining in, in Christmas. But, um, yeah, that's... I mean, like I said to you before we started, I was working in the bar yesterday because um, the bar manager wasn't in and the lads have come from far and wide, so we need to get them into college on the morning to make sure they go first and foremost and then we need to get them up to, to college um, sorry up to the training ground afterwards so I pick them up in the minibus and we do all that kind of stuff as well so there's literally a million and one different things that, that go into the into the role I mean I'm club welfare officer as well um, so there's just all kinds of stuff that goes into it but I, th- I think to work I, I'm lucky in that I work in, I work in football my whole income comes from football and I never, as a, as a kid, definitely would never have thought that would be the case. A lot of my friends will always say, your job, like, it must be class, like you, just working in football. And it is because it's all football. All the, I, I love football. You know, people, our season finished a couple of weeks ago. I must have seen about eight games in person. I've, I've been to loads of non-league games around. That's still going on. Um, I just love the game. Um, so to work in it you have to sacrifice a little bit in terms of I'm not just going to be able to be a sports therapist do rehab, do massage and do treatments and, and that's it, I'm going to have to do little other bits and pieces otherwise there's not going to be a full time job, I've done technical coaching, I've managed the team sometimes um, I've, I've done all that and I'm lucky, probably the age that I am, I've been able to go off and do different courses and qualify and different stuff so I've you know, I think obviously people will always say, you know, you're jack of all trades and master of none. But I think there's a place for that. Unfortunately, at our level, you kind of have to be that. Um, and and I enjoy them all. There's there's not one. I got asked at the start of the season actually if there was one, if I could just do one role, what would it be? And I, I've actually got no idea which one I would prefer to do because I love it all. It all blends into a into a role that's diverse. Something happens every day. Um, and even the fact that it's non-league, it's it's a million miles an hour. Well, the, the, again, in that, the fact that you've been open-minded and driven to go and pursue the opportunities and pick up experiences in different roles, um, different circumstances, that puts you in a much better position going into a role like yours. And I know you mentioned it at that level, but regardless of even levels above, leagues above, you still have to have an element of being that generalist, in my opinion, because there are people that specialise, there are jobs that specialise, aren't there? But that doesn't mean that you're going to not have other um, responsibilities along the way, like, obviously we're going to extremes, but like driving the bus and all the rest of it, there's going to be things that come up in in your day-to-day where you have to sort of pivot and adapt yeah. And I think you putting yourself out there and going through those experiences is important. It's important for young coaches to consider as well because you just don't know what you're going to need going forward. So the fact that you take so much experience into the role puts you in a much better position. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, me, my friends will often say, like, would you not, would you not rather be working at a Newcastle or at a, at a Sunderland, at, at, you know, at, at a full-time professional club? Um, and I'll be honest, I don't think I would. I don't think I would like that because, well, one, I'm a control freak, and I know if I go back into a multidisciplinary team, I'm going to be looking at a really small part of, of what what I do and that the actual outcome of the team and I suppose the output of like the full you know the backroom staff as it is. Um but here I get an input in everything. Um and I get to try and I suppose shape the philosophy, which is corny again, but it's it's true. You get you get to kind of shape how things how things happen, how and I and I get to take all my experience from full-time football at Middlesbrough and, and the stuff I've done at Barrett Rangers and the, the, the people I've met in the game in professional football, all of the, you know, all the courses that I've been on, all the things that I've done with yourselves, um, the soccer science conventions, all those different things. And you just try to take little bits of elements of, well, that would be great. The, the amount of notes I've taken from, from you know, I, I've, I've gone away and done it, you know, seeing you in Middlesbrough, no, no, it wasn't Middlesbrough, Manchester two weeks ago. Um, that was a planes, trains, and automobiles to get down for a, for a two hour chat. But I took away so many notes that weren't even to do with the topic, which was knee rehab on the night. It was little different things of people I'd met of things they do at their clubs, and I'm able to bring them and try and put them into a non-league setting to try and make. It, the club as professional as it possibly can be, to have the standards as high as it possibly can be at the level that you're at. And I think that, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what I try to do. That's, that's all I'm trying to do is try to make these academy footballers who are just college lads, try to make it as close as being in a, in a professional, and not just a professional, but as good a professional academy as it could possibly be at in non-league football and for our first team players to try and give them every bit of assistance that a fully, full-time professional footballer would get. I mean, tonight I'm going to a, a player's house. I've got to drive for an hour to a player's house to do some rehab for him. Um, we're carrying an ACL over the summer. Um, he's out of contract, but I'm going to his house. Hopefully he'll get a new deal. And I'm, I'm going through to his house to, to try and help him out. And you just have to do little bits of extra stuff. But... It's um, it all. I think it all comes into one big melting pot. Yeah, definitely, mate. No, I think there's some great stuff in there. Just on that though, Steve, as well. I wanted to ask about. You mentioned it a little bit before about the no board and how you sort of like pivoted the program a little bit to achieve similar sort of desired effects of whatever it is that you want. And like I say, if there are restrictions in place financially, logistics, it might be facilities. Can you think of any other examples where you've been like, right, I want to add this into the program. And I know probably GPS will be one for a lot of people, but obviously you've had the backing yeah. um, of the club with that. But other, are there any other areas that sort of stand up where you've like, right, I want to take this from, this is my, this is what I want to take from being at Borough or, or, or a conversation with someone else. Yeah. Well, we can't quite do it in that way and we'll have to adapt it for our programme. Is there anything that sort of stands out? I think the, I think trying to do as much of a screen as possible. So we try to have as many objective markers as we possibly can. But like you said before, the restriction is, you know, I could take a load of different markers, but there's 60 of them and there's one of me. 
So there's only going to be so many times or so many kind of touch points along the way with, with individual players. So we try to get as much bang for a book in terms of the screen that we do. So we'll look at what injuries are going to be the most common. So we're going to be looking at ankle sprains, just general football is just ankle sprains, hip kind of adductor, quad, hamstring injuries. And then the kind of chronic stuff like the tendinopathies and stuff like that. They're, they're going to be the, the big things that we can kind of affect early doors. So we try to put in isometrics into the warm-ups. We try to put in, um, we try to implement the FIFA 11 plus into all the warm-ups. So they're trying to, they do some eccentric work. They're doing Nordics at least once a week. And again, it's always going to be compromised by we've got a Wednesday game day. So they're not going to do loads of Nordics on a Monday because I don't want them stiff on a Wednesday. So it's just when we kind of drip feed these little things in. In the summer, we're lucky, um, like I said before we're coming on, we're lucky now that we've we our season finishes kind of around now. Um, but they're with us because they're college students. They're with us until the end of June. So they'll do a, a month strength block. We'll get them in the gym. We'll get them lifting. And we'll do things that they wouldn't normally have been able to have the time to do. Um, and, and we look at screens. So we look at basically um, the key lift, basically. We'll, we'll look at one squat pattern. We'll look at one hinge pattern. We'll look at a push exercise. We'll look at a pull exercise. And then we'll basically try to get them stronger in those moves. We'll look at, again, rotation, anti-rotation, and all, all the big kind of um, key movements. And we'd look to try and have at least one or two different things that they're putting into a programme. So that one or two, once or twice a week, they're doing those little things. Um, and it's basically microdosing. And that's how we can do it because of the, the, the limitation that we've got in me the coaches help us with it massively um, and the players kind of lead themselves on it. Um, and we have to try and put those in because we're, we're trying to kind of cover as many bases as possible, but we're limited with our training time, our contact time um, and obviously their game week as well. And the fact that some of them will play three games a week um, because they're playing for boys clubs on the weekend and might maybe got two boys clubs that they'll play one for on the Saturday and one on the Sunday, one on the Wednesday. They're all different intensities. They may play different positions when they go and play. Um, you know, they might be a right back for us, but on a, you know, with their boys club, they might be the best centre midfielder in the world because the, the standard isn't as high. So they'll all have different kind of physical characteristics that will come along with that as well, even though it's non-league or even though it's boys club, they're, they're all got um, its levels to everything um, and you know 100% to some person isn't 100% to someone else but it's 100% to them so it's trying to make sure that they cover all the bases and they, they fill the buckets up uh, for use, so, using so many corny expressions here <laughs> but um, yeah it's trying, to, it's trying to hit all those things Brilliant and if I gave you the superpower Steve of having some extra bodies about, some extra staff um, that worked in your MDT, what what changes would you maybe make to the programme? If you had another couple of, a couple of staff with you, like what sort of additions or maybe just extensions of what you currently do? Um, I think it would just be to be able to 
speak to the players a little bit more. They'll be able to get around them a little bit more. Um, maybe take them into little groups. I think the problem, you're always going to have 60 lads who are college athletes. That they don't have the carrot of professional contracts. So we also have to deal with behaviour management as well, which I think is probably unique to college programmes. And, you know, yeah, all right, you always get one live while you're in a, in a group in academy football, but generally speaking, they'll behave a little bit better because they're in a professional football environment, whereas our lads, you know, behaviour is an issue um, that we have to deal with. And, and I think by having a couple of extra bodies, you'd be able to put people into groups that mean everyone would get everything out of it. Um, I mean, even a college, you know, we ask a teacher how they would get better with their teaching and to give a smaller classroom sizes. Do you know what I mean? So I think I think that would be the key so that we'd be able to put them into smaller groups. But at the same time, it is what it is. It's the environment that we're in. Yeah, 100%. Steve, I want to move on to some of the questions that we finished the podcast with. Um First one being, and I know you've mentioned quite a few already, but whether this is the same or whether there's a few more that stand out, who are some of the biggest influences on your career? Um, main one being my dad, just hard work. He was working in the pit at 15, he was in the Navy. Um, he's always done manual jobs. He was a prison officer, just just a grafter. Um, so... Yeah, definitely my dad. Um, I think through my career, I was trying to have a think about it. And I think that there's loads of people that have, have, have helped us so much. So thanks to them all. Um, but I think that the people that have kind of shaped how I've gone about things, it's probably Grant Downey's massive. Um, I've tried to, you know, I've spoken to him a couple of times on, on you know, social media and, and told him how much I love him. Um, whether he, he realises or not, like I love him. Um, <laughs> But he taught us how to treat the person and not the injury. And I think he, he said he's 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 uh, treated thousands of injured people, but not one injury because he's he's treating the injury, not the person. And sorry, he's treating the person, not the injury. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's that's massive. I think Nick Grantham. I think seeing him every week, going in and watching him work at close quarters and just being able to be a fly on the wall, seeing how he does things, was brilliant. Um, you know the. Again, just the fundamentals, getting the basics right. You know, I think back to his programming, um, and his programming was so simple. It was so straightforward um, because you had players who didn't really want to be in the gym and they were being forced to because that was their job. And he was just putting programs in place that made them want to do it. And if and even if it didn't, it was just helping them reduce injury risk. Um and then Nick Gray, who's brought us to Morpeth. Um, just and I think the biggest thing with him is trusting people to do their job because he doesn't it, it never it, it just never really questions anything I do, which is amazing considering I'm always asking for more finance, I'm always asking for more people, I'm always asking, always trying to influence the program and stuff, and he just just lets us get on with it. Um, and he, he always says, if you get good people in, then you can trust them to get on with it. And then it makes everything work um, work easier. And I think that, you know, he's been massive for us. And then the players I've worked with, that have, and especially the ones that have been, have been injured. Um, I mean, you know, you see people from kind of their darkest days, you know, coming back, you know, first getting injured, going through, 
um, you know, scans and, and obviously at the level that we're at, some of the clubs that I've been, I'm, I'm lucky at this club that if, if, I'm, if, if I push to get a player scanned or whatever, the chairman will sort it. We, we've had players had surgeries and he makes sure they're sorted and they get they see the best people. Um, but sometimes we've had, you know, we've had ones where they've had to wait nine months for surgery through the NHS and, we, we, and then you've got nine months rehabs off the back of that. And it's, it's the psychology side of it, trying to keep their heads bright, trying to keep them working hard, trying to see the end goal. Um, and all, you know, you work with one and that, that informs the next time you work with somebody with that same injury or you work with one similar because you've got that experience to say, well, I know it's going to be hard, but I've seen this before. Um, and this is how it's, this is the outcome that the hard you can get back there. Um, so yeah, the, the the players that I've worked with have all I've learned loads of things, good and bad, from all of them, and I try to take that forward into into everything I do. Brilliant, mate. I'm going to change this question slightly because I normally ask about what you think your biggest strength is as a practitioner, which I do want you to answer, yeah. but also maybe some advice to practitioners that are possibly looking to work in non-league as well maybe mm -hmm. a couple of key skills that they need so start with like what you feel like your biggest strength is and then just, also just add on a couple of skills that you think are like a priority for people in going to work in non-league yeah um i think key things for me is just hard work um I'm, i'll do anything for anyone really and i think that i hope that that comes across to the players and the staff that i'm with um, I suppose humility but being prepared to do anything there's no job too big or too small for anyone you know I've mopped changing rooms I've driven buses I've worked in the bar yesterday like am I too big to do any of those no like I've got absolutely no issue with doing those things um, and then I think having a sense of humour just trying to enjoy it try to bring a bit of banter to it it's, it's just football you know it's, it's just sport like it's an unbelievable environment to be able to work in football full time. It's it's absolutely class, and I think you have to have a, a laugh at yourself and at, at everyone else. You know, you know what environments like everyone's just constantly taking the piss. So it's it's just enjoy it. But I think I think advice to people getting in is one get in. It's you don't need a million and one qualifications to to start in the role. There's a level for you. Um, with the qualifications you've got now, with the experience that you've got now, there's a level for you. And nothing, no course that you're going to do or no qualification you're going to get is going to be a bad thing. You're, it's always going to be a step forward. Even I've been on courses where, you know, things like kinesio taping, I've done so many levels of kinesio taping. And now I just think, well, that was probably a lot of shite. But <laughs> I've still got it in the background. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's no courses you can do where you, you come away worse off or, you know, you're not stupider for going there. Even though I, that's probably not a word. But um, so, yeah, just be prepared to do anything like that. And go get get into local clubs, like professional or non-league um, semi-professional clubs don't have huge budgets, which means they're a good place to learn. They're a good place to go in and make mistakes. Because worst case scenario, well, they're not paying you anyway. Mm. So they you're not going to lose your house and your car over making a mistake in a non-league club. Do you know what I mean? If you end up 
luckily like me and you end up full time there, fantastic. But go in and volunteer with clubs, volunteer with other therapists and, and just learn as much as you possibly can. Take everything, everything out of it that you possibly can. Great advice, mate. Final one, Steve. And I bet this has changed for your career as well from some of the stuff you've touched on. But I always ask about your approach to CPD, but not just in terms of like courses, which you've touched on a little bit already. Yeah. Well, just you as a practitioner, how do you test yourself? How are you, how are you constantly improving? Like, what's your approach? I think, I think back in the day, it was to do anything, everything. Any course that I could go on, in fact, I would chase certificates, I would chase recognition or whatever, um, whether it be in nutrition, strength and conditioning, um, hands-on stuff, taping, like um, manual therapy stuff. But now I... I've tried to come away from that and try to look at things like more into podcasts. Um, yours is unbelievable. Rob Pacey's is unbelievable. All those kind of things. There's just so much information out there. Don't be scared. I know, like, you know, your players, you'll change something in the warm-up and the players will be like, oh, you've seen this on YouTube. Well, so fuck. You know what I mean? If you've seen it on YouTube, so what? Like, there's loads of good, as long as it's a reputable source, so what? There's loads of things, but I think for me now, if, if I'm going to go and do a course, because I'm just so busy here, if I'm going to do a course, it has to be something that's going to affect how I work day to day. And that's basically how I kind of judge it now. Like the next one I'm doing, I'm doing a, um, a wound management one, so I can do suturing and stuff like that. So that that's my next thing, where because that's something that will help us um, on game day. But most of the time, it's things that it has to affect how I work day to day. Um, otherwise, it'll just be listening to podcasts in the car. My missus goes mental because when I'm she gets in my car and the pod, your voice normally. <laughs> oh God! Listening to him again. I, <laughs> it's, it's just what we do, isn't it? It's, it's what everyone's like. Um, so yeah, I think that's um, I think that's the biggest thing, mate. Is is just trying to if you're at the start of your journey, try to get as much back in as you can, try to get as much formal education as you possibly can. But in the meantime, get as much experience in, in anything as you can. And then when you're busy and you're actually doing it and you're hands-on, it has to be worthwhile. It has to be, it has to change how you do something, improve something, or maybe something that you stop doing um, to affect your day because otherwise my head would fall off if I just went off and done everything. So... Great advice, mate. That was absolutely quality, Steve. There's some great yeah. stuff in there. Really, really relatable to loads of people. And uh, well, I apologise to your missus as well because she must be sick of my voice, if that's the case. <laughs> um, but just wrap us up, mate. People might want to ask questions. I'm sure they will. Um, I'm sure they'll want to reach out because there's probably people in similar sort of roles out there listening, hopefully, or people that wanted to make that first step into football that maybe want a bit of extra advice. Give us your social media. Like, where would you want people to go to? Um, to... Well, I, I came off Twitter. Actually, got. I actually yeah, I thought got I couldn't find you. I was you know why? Because yeah. I, <laughs> I actually got. I've been banned for life um, for making a threat to kill. It's <laughs> the most ridiculous thing ever. Because I've seen people being beheaded on Twitter, and what happened was a lad who I was with at Berwick moved. He was used to sell Herbalife. And he used to, um, he moved from, uh, I think it was Arbroath or Edinburgh City up to Arbroath. And there was a link to an interview with him. And I, and I just commented saying, if you mention Herbalife in this interview, I'm going to kill you. 
And I got banned for life for that. And I've seen people being beheaded and all sorts on Twitter. I got an email from Twitter saying, if you like try to set up another account, um, that one will be banned as well. So I thought it's not worth it. So I've just, so I'm off. I'm off Twitter. Oh, wow. It's it, might, it might change now. Elon it's so Musk much more productive, though. Elon Musk is at the wheel. You are sorry? Elon Musk is at the wheel. Everything's changed. Everything's ah, back. True. true. Um, but I'm on Instagram, uh, Stephen Shaw PT. Um, yeah. I think I'm Stephen Shaw PT on anything, really. Um, I think I've I had that nailed down. So I've got that on Facebook. Uh, LinkedIn, so any any of those. Um, uh, my email is sportscience at mortlesstownafc.com. So, but by all means, uh, get in touch if you want to do anything. I think the best thing about this podcast now is I can just send a link to my mum because my mum's always saying, What is it you do again? So I can just send her this and just go, right, Listen to that. And uh, if you still have questions, you can give us a ring. That <laughs> is superb. Well, Steve's mum, thank you for listening. but mate that was absolutely quality thank you for doing it I know you're about to have a a barrage of players come through that door any second so um, yeah good luck with it with this afternoon and for the for the next sort of block of off season um, I'm sure I'll be catching up with you really soon but thank you very much for doing it mate thanks very much thanks to Stephen for coming on the podcast I appreciate his time I know that um, we were on a bit of a time scale because he had all the players coming in Uh, to see him just a few minutes after we finished recording the podcast. 60 players, like he mentioned in in the podcast, so I appreciate him fitting the podcast in. Go and check him out. Obviously, he's not on Twitter, like he mentioned, but he is over on Instagram, at Stephen Shaw PT, and also over on LinkedIn as well, and he gave his email in the podcast too. Um, I think lessons and takeaways from this one, he's grown his network by putting himself out there um, and he's mentioned some of the names that he's come across in the industry, the, the likes of Nick Grantham, Grant Downey and others as well. But that's from him putting himself out there and taking opportunities when they come up. And that's got to be the first lesson for anyone is put yourself out there and get involved in conversations with people because you never know where you, they're going to lead to, which is why, which is a shameless plug, but it's exactly why we developed the networking events that we run because there's so much value in those conversations. You never know where they're going to lead to in the future. The next one is just commit. It's something obviously that Stephen has done. He's decided um, on a pathway and then he's committed and he's not. He's dropped his ego. He's not been worried or concerned about, I, these are only my jobs. I don't step outside of that. Like He's willing to go above and beyond um, to do the work that's needed to be done. Also, the, the, the slight change in scheduling with game days being, being on a Wednesday. I think it just tests when you come across challenges like that. It's testing you as a, practitioner, as a practitioner. And the more you can get exposure to different types of programs or different ways that programs work or scheduling works, the better because it just grows your toolbox as a practitioner. And then he reverted back to it. And I, I remember speaking to other um, practitioners in a similar sort of lower leagues, the, the likes of Elliot Turner, who's obviously now at Plymouth, but it was at Sully Hill Moors at the time. And we were talking about some of the big pillars and the, the impact that you can make with certain changes and additions to programmes. And that's, again, what Stephen re- uh, reverted to or... or um, yeah, reverted to with his programming and the sort of approach that he wanted to take initially with his players. So 
I think it's a really interesting conversation. There's, there's loads in this one again. So let me know what you think of it by giving it a share on socials and um, yeah, put some some takeaways in those shares as well and let me know what you thought of the, the chat with Stephen. And also I'm always on future guest recommendations as well. I've got some really good ones lined up, but if you think of anyone in particular that you'd like to hear from on the podcast or any topics in particular, then please reach out either mail at footballfitfed.com or drop us a message on Instagram or Twitter and let us know who you're thinking of that would fit as a good guest recommendation. Thank you, as always, for your support on the podcast, and I will speak to you again next week in episode 188.